ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Dr. TJ, and with me as always is Aaron. Hi. And she's on that top of it. She's on top of it today, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Look out. She's on top of it today. Um so PCOS. Yes. Back to PCOS. Last last show on PCOS. Um, So the first two, we talked about, you know, kind of what it is and... It's polycystic ovary syndrome. Oh, yeah. I didn't didn't throw the words out there. Polycystic (laughs) ovary syndrome. Let me get that out. Um, In case you've not listened to our past two shows. Yeah. And if you haven't listened to our past two shows, go listen to them. Check them out. They're on iTunes. They're on SoundCloud. They're on our website. Um, Check them out. Um, So... This show, we're basically going to focus on treatment of PCOS. We got into it a little bit last show, talking about um, exercise and diet. Um, we talked about you know diet and low carb and food sensitivity testing yes. and and stuff like that. So we're just going to kind of pick up where we left off um, with regards to that. Um, right. We had started talking about exercise and how exercise is important. Um, you know, finding ways to exercise, even if you have, you know, other things going on. We see a lot with, um, people who have PCOS have some sort of adrenal dysregulation. Right. And a lot of times people believe, okay, well I have these adrenal problems. I really can't exercise. And that is just simply not true. Um, But you may have to alter what you're doing. You know who talks about, uh, in mainstream, who talks about adrenal dysfunction a lot? No. Dr. Phil. Really? He does. He talks about people being stressed and their adrenals just get cashed or are shot or are exhausted or, you know, whatever well, other word sense. he throws it, after it. Because emotions, you know, have a, are a big driver of that. Both, yeah. You know, they're physical drivers and emotional drivers, so it makes sense to me. Go, go Dr. Phil. The fact that you uh, <laughs> pulled that out is kind of impressive. Yeah, uh, you know, me and Dr. Phil, we're tight. He doesn't know that we're friends, but <laughs> but, but we're really good friends. Me and him and Oprah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well, that's enough about that. So... Yeah, so if you've got an adrenal problem, which, you know, is common with those with PCOS. Very common. You And and why? Let's go back and touch on why. Well, that's on you. <laughs> so drivers of PCOS, big drivers, insulin resistance leads to uh, adrenal dysregulation or hormone imbalances, which then leads to PCOS, which leads to insulin resistance. It's a cycle. It keeps going and going, and it just perpetuates itself. Go ahead. No, all I was going to say is, you know, this may be a situation if you, you know, if you do have adrenal problems, you know, you're not going to be doing CrossFit five times a week. You're not going to be running marathons. Um, You do need to moderate what you're doing. But a lot of people with PCOS have um, weight problems as well. So you're not going to be doing those things at the start anyway. It's just you can't go from zero to 100, right? Right. Um, It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Not unless you're in a top fuel drag drag car. Right. Right. And I didn't give that caveat. I, I highly doubt our patients out. are out there doing that, but it's possible. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, there, it just, the fact that, and I know, you know, to some of you out there, again, this is going to not be good news because you had an excuse, right? Like, oh, well, yeah. this was the reason why I can't exercise. People keep telling me to exercise and I can't. Well, okay. From someone who has three autoimmune conditions, you still need to have some activity in your life. Um, you just do. Right. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to be able to do what the person next to you is doing. Um, but that doesn't mean that you you should not be living a sedentary lifestyle. That's not good for your health in general, regardless of whether you have PCOS. Right. 
That's exactly right. I mean, there's exercise is a form of stress. It's oftentimes a good form of stress, but overdoing it is a negative stress, and we don't want to overdo it. We've got to we've got to work our way into this, you know exercise world you like Aaron said you just don't you know you don't wake up tomorrow and say well I'm gonna run a marathon let's see how that goes it just doesn't right. work that way yeah um and it's funny because we really in the clinic it seems like there are you know two ends of the spectrum that we see a lot we either have people who are like I can't exercise I can't exercise and it's this constant battle of yeah you can do something you can walk you can do you know light restorative yoga there are things that you can do to get your body moving. Um, And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have people who will not quit running, you know, right. Five miles every day or 10 miles, you know, I mean, like, and they're constantly doing CrossFit and they're, you know, they're into bodybuilding and we're saying you've got to slow it down while we try to fix your body. (laughs) So, yeah, it's hard to fill the bathtub when the drains open. Right. You know, it's just uh, what we're trying to do here. So. As far as diet goes, we talked a little bit before. Um, A lot of times we're recommending um, a, a, paleo-esque or really a food sensitivity diet that is that is low carb based on your food sensitivities and we talked about that on the last show if you missed that go back and check i don't want to rehash all through that but the gist is get your food sensitivities checked because food foods that you're eating are driving inflammation insulin resistance is an inflammatory part of 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 the pcos cycle and so eliminate those things that you're eating that you shouldn't be eating um and then eat things that are you know General rules of thumb, stay away from grain, stay away from dairy. They're both very inflammatory right. At least and problematic. Limit them. I mean, we have I I know people are sick of hearing this. We get, you know, a lot of questions about do I really need to eliminate this? Eliminating it is best. It is. Um but the answer is yes. But I will also say that most of the or I wouldn't I don't know about most, but a lot of the people that come into our clinic eat so many grains and so much dairy that just reducing it will get you give you the motivation to say okay wait this does make a difference yeah so don't i mean it may be easier to go into it saying i'm going to reduce the amount i'm going to start being aware of it and trying to make other choices i'm only going to eat pasta one day a week instead of six right and i guarantee you if you start doing that after you know a couple of weeks that pasta is not going to make you're going to be like oh my gosh i feel horrible after yeah. i eat a meal of pasta right. i mean because it does make that much of a difference and that is going to give you the motivation that you may not have right now when your diet is you know full of grains and dairy right so and and with pcos one of the one common complaint is acne and dairy drives acne. It really, truly does. We see this over and over and over again. You know, young women come in, they're like, well, you know, I have all this acne problem. You know, is there anything that we can do about that? I'm like, well, yeah, we can. One of the big things you can do is stop eating all the cheese and ice cream that you're throwing down your throats. And they're, they look at me like, but I love ice cream. I love cheese. That's what I eat. I'm like, exactly. And you stop doing that and you're going to decrease the acne that you have as well. Right. So that's a that's a big piece of the puzzle. Then there's this concept of regarding diet of intermittent fasting. This is kind of a it's a it's a newer thing. It's new ish. Um, this and, and let us know if if we're going to go over this a little bit. But sure. let us know if you want us to do a show on. We've gotten a lot of talks uh, or a lot of questions on intermittent fasting. And it's not something that we touch. We've touched on a lot on the show. So, right. but it really there is enough information we could do an entire show. But I know we're going to at least talk about it a little bit here. Right. 
Um, so intermittent fasting research shows that the that intermittent fasting helps increase insulin sensitivity. So it decreases insulin resistance, which is one of the big drivers of PCOS. And so intermittent fasting really just means it doesn't mean that you. Um, just skip a meal. It's not like you wake up in the morning and you and you and you eat breakfast and then you skip lunch and then you eat dinner. That's not really inter- intermittent fasting. And I don't want to get into all the particulars of it. But intermittent fasting is really more of a you know you there are long periods of time that you don't eat and windows of time where you do, and that's more along the lines of what you want to do. And there are there are a lot there's lots of information out there. There's lots of um, differing opinions on intermittent fasting. I mean, a couple of people that I really like to, to listen to have different opinions on intermittent fasting. And figuring out something that works for you is important. But it's also like if, if blood sugar is an issue for you, not eating first thing in the morning may be a problem for you because we got to get your blood sugar under control at the beginning. So this is one of those where it really helps knowing your numbers, knowing your blood values, knowing what's going on, knowing what's there, knowing how your system is responding to the world that you live in today, and then altering and working around that. And if you're going to do intermittent fasting, you intermittent fast based on your lab values, not just, oh, well, somebody says that, you know, I'm not supposed to, you know, I wake up in the morning and I don't eat anything till three o'clock in the afternoon. Right. That that may not be what helps you at all. And it may be counterproductive. Yeah. And that sounds like torture to me. Um, someone oh, who wakes yeah. up and is hungry in the morning. So, I mean, that's another way to determine, you know, I mean. Scream, screaming and yelling, I'm hungry. <laughs> It would not be good if I decided I wasn't going to wake up and not eat until the afternoon. It just would, there would, nothing would get done. No, nothing would get done. I would have no friends. No, no, (laughs) no, not at all. So there's, there's that. Um, Lip intermittent fasting also has has been shown to, to help cholesterol levels. So Anyone who has a, a, their, their lipids, their blood lipids, their blood fats, their cholesterol is out of whack. Intermittent fasting has been shown to, to help that. Um, you know, then there's, as with, with diet, making sure you're getting enough fiber in is good. Um, those are, that's very beneficial. Um, helping balance out the gut flora with um, getting enough pro, probiotics, prebiotics, fiber, these types of things really can help um, to regulate blood sugar as well. There's a lot that goes into all of that. We're, I'm a big fan of, 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 you know, getting enough fiber in your diet. We, as, as Americans, we get a pitiful amount of fiber. And if all you're eating is processed foods, you are definitely not getting enough fiber in your diet. I, I saw a study somewhere along the line and I, I think the, the recommendations are somewhere around 30 grams of fiber a day. And most Americans get like five, and I'm just like, no wonder everyone is constipated. No wonder everyone right. has digestive problems. Well, and the type of fiber that you get is important also because um, I know a lot of people will turn to supplements with psyllium husks and that can be... Yep. Uh, or they're using like a Metamucil product or something like that. It, it, yeah, and it can cause a lot of problems also. Right. So. Then you become re- reliant upon that product when, you know, it, it may be okay as a crutch short term. But you really want to, and it can be extremely bloating and yes, at the beginning. You so. want to you want to be getting your fiber and increasing those levels uh, naturally. All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue on with uh, treatments for PCOS. You're listening to Wellness 101. Today we're talking about uh, treatments for PCOS or polycystic ovary syndrome. 
Um, before the break, we were talking about diet, um, intermittent fasting, getting enough fiber, um, exercise. We threw in a little bit of exercise information. So let's move on now into like actual nutrients that have been shown to be beneficial. Um, so when people have PCOS, off, off PCOS, oftentimes we're dealing with individuals who have deficiencies, um, either you know straight up medical deficiencies or more often than not actually functional deficiencies so they don't necess- they're not so depleted that you know their their blood labs are like oh my gosh you're you're completely empty on this but functionally they can't their their body processes aren't working optimally the way they're supposed to so you get enough things not working optimally and we have you know, big issues. This is kind of like, you know, driving in your car and you, you know, your car gets 30 miles to the gallon and all of a sudden you realize you're filling up all the time, but you're driving around on four flat tires and you're, you've got three cylinders that aren't functioning. So you wonder why your gas mileage is down. Well, your car still runs and it rolls, but we've got issues because, you know, things aren't working optimally and you get those things fixed and working optimally and all of a sudden your gas mileage comes back. So it's the same principle here. Um, but one of the first supplements that we'll talk about, and these are really in by no means uh, in any specific order. Um, they're just not. They're, everyone, like we've said, when you get into a functional medicine approach, you this stuff is prioritized to you. So this may be a supplement that we talk about, but it may not be the one that is most beneficial for you or or one of the ones that's most beneficial for you. But the first one on the list um, that we'll talk about is magnesium glycinate. Now, a lot of people know the benefits of magnesium and you hear lots of people say, oh, I take magnesium. Well, my next question automatically is what form? Um, because form matters. There's a lots of different types of magnesiums out there. There's magnesium oxide, which is really pointless to take. Um, there's magnesium citrate, which is really good at at giving uh, giving you diarrhea. There's magnesium three and eight. If that's what your goal is, right? That's what you're that's what you're trying to do. If you're constipated from that lack of fiber that we were talking about in the last segment, you might be able to figure out some magnesium citrate's good for you. Um, um, then there's magnesium three and eight, which is a blood brain barrier um, magnesium. It helps with brain function a lot more. And then there's magnesium glycinate, which is the form that that we recommend for this. And it can be in the form of magnesium glycinate. Sometimes it's written as magnesium bisglycinate. Um, that's the one that we put a lot of people on. And whether even whether they have PCOS or not, it's one that we recommend um, is, is getting a good quality magnesium glycinate. Um, it's very, very difficult to get enough magnesium in just your diet, um, which is extremely important because magnesium has to do with, it helps with insulin and leptin and your thyroid hormones. And, and so we know what insulin is. Insulin carries um, sugar into your, uh, or car- yeah, carries the sugar into your, into your cells. But leptin, um, leptin works with ghrelin. Um, leptin tells you that your body is, that your body is full. And so if you don't have enough magnesium, you're, you may not be producing leptin adequately and so, therefore, you're not really going to know that you're full. You may have a more of a tendency to overeat, and that can be a that can be a big issue. Um, magnesium is also really, really important for producing estrogens and progesterone. Um, that's a that's a key piece of this puzzle because hormone imbalance again is one of those things that drives 
that drives PCOS, insulin resistance, um, and then hormone imbalance. Uh, magnesium is very calming. A lot of people take magnesium to relax. It helps them with, with deal with stress. Um, anything, anytime you can take anything or do anything to decrease your perceived level of stress is beneficial. Stress is so hard on the system and everyone talks about stress, but no one has any clue what stress really truly is and where stress comes from. Everyone just thinks when they think of stress, everyone goes right to, you know, stress from a job, stress from trying to get the kids across town to all their different activities, um, the, you know, stress of getting work done, but they're not thinking about the stress from skipping a meal, the stress from, you know, um, a tough workout. Yeah. I mean, we a hard workout, exercising way too hard. Those aren't, those aren't stresses that people, that people think about yeah, or, or- this not sleeping enough. Right. Or eating foods that you're not supposed to be eating. You right. know, that um, a bunch of processed packaged stuff. Right. Um yeah. yeah. And magnesium is great for so many things. Um like you said, I mean it does lower you know, helps lower stress levels, but I mean, you know, also we know that it helps with headaches. It helps with um it's huge. Um I realized during the pregnancy, uh with restless legs. Yep. Um to help with that. I mean and leg cramps, um all sorts of things, and so many people are magnesium deficient. Right. And, you know, you got to pay attention. I, I mentioned the forms of magnesium. You really have to pay attention. There are a lot of vitamins, especially minerals out there, that are the form is an oxide form. You're looking, if you look on the back, it tells you magnesium, 400 milligrams, oxide. And that's, it'll say magnesium oxide. All that's really going to do, like citrate, is going to give you a good case of diarrhea, and it's not not really going to absorb If you're even able to break it down, because a lot of these magnesium pills will come in um, tablets that are huge, and they're like rocks, and they've got so many fillers in them, you can't— because magnesium is a rock. Well, but you can't break it down. I mean, when it's it's all bound together, when it's got these binders and fillers in it, it, the body can't break it down, and so— we so often hear people say, well, I can get it, you know, really a huge bottle really cheaply at Sam's. Right. Well, I mean, you are literally throwing your money away. Right. I mean, so it's better that you just not even take it. it you're, you're throwing it right down the toilet because that's where it's going. Right. If you're lucky. I mean, really, like you probably aren't even um, breaking down those tablets at all. A lot of people say, like, I see them come out, you know, right. like they they're, they are. Right. It's, you know, it goes straight through me. Right. That's exactly right. So. If if you're seeing them go right through you, you're definitely having an absorption um, breakdown issue. Um, they're in forms that you can't really do anything with. It doesn't right. mean that you're doesn't necessarily mean that your gut is that dysfunctional. It just means that the product that you're taking is yes pointless. Um, so really, you got to pay attention to that. Um, next on the list would be vitamin D. Vitamin D, I I can't go on enough about the benefits of vitamin D. There are so many health benefits to vitamin D. Um, vitamin D is actually a secosteroid. It's a it's a very steroid like. Um, it's a it's a pro hormone. Um, it acts more like that than it does a vitamin. Um, it's extremely important for hormonal balance. It's also extremely important for immune balance and immune function. So not only not only balancing out our immune system the way they're supposed to, but actually allowing the immune system to work the way it's supposed to, right? I mean, that's a that's a big thing. Now, the one caveat with vitamin D that's not necessarily true with magnesium. Most anyone can just go and start taking some magnesium, and you know it's not going to really hurt you. 
Um, however, vitamin D, I do not recommend that anyone take a vitamin D supplement without checking your blood levels for vitamin D. Vitamin D is a is a is a substance that can become toxic in your system. It can create all kinds of issues and you've got to be really really careful with vitamin D, especially if you're taking high doses of vitamin D, right? Then a lot of people out there will just I mean they just flat out tell you, "Oh, take 5,000 I use a vitamin D every single day or you need to take 10,000 I use a vitamin D every day." Well, that's not really true um, because you can have other issues that alter how vitamin D works in your system and you can really toxify yourself in vitamin D very, very quickly. You can have some underlying conditions that make it very difficult for your body to deal with vitamin D and you can become toxic quickly. You really have to pay attention and and be wary of people that are just like, oh, you need to take this. I take 5,000 I use every day and you'll be fine. You need to take that too. Well, that's not necessarily right. true. And it's, I mean, you know, on the one hand, it is great that so many doctors are realizing that vitamin D is a huge issue and that, you know, as a population, we are generally deficient in vitamin D. We, we are. National average is 27. The medical range for vitamin D is 30 to 100. So the national average is medically deficient. But that being said, you know, we're all unique individuals and right. you can't just say, well, the average person is, you know, is deficient. Therefore, go ahead and take a bunch of this when right. it could become toxic. I mean, that doesn't make sense, right? right? That's no. like saying, well, the national average of weight is overweight. So therefore, everyone should be on a diet. Right. Like that they doesn't seen, make they sense. They haven't seen me. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't know and never seen a picture, I'm a tall, skinny fellow. Um, and that's just kind of who I am. Um, I, I, I'm the opposite. I have a really hard time gaining weight. Right. So, um, anyway, um, yeah, that's, that's, you have to be careful. Vitamin D needs to be checked and it needs to be checked regularly. I have people, if you come to the office and we're dealing with vitamin D, you are at minimum getting checked three times or every three months until we know what your vitamin D levels need to be. That's when we check you. Now, occasionally, you know, we may go four or five months, just kind of depends on if we have lab work that just fits there, but we're really watching very closely all in all about what's actually going on with with you and your system and how well you're tolerating vitamin D. And we're checking it through the summer months. We're checking it in the winter months because your vitamin D need may go up more in the winter because you're not spending any time outside. You're eating foods that aren't as rich in vitamin D during different times of the year. So all of that stuff really plays into that role. Um, all right, we got to take another break. When we come back, we're going to continue on talking about various nutrients and, and treatments that you can use when dealing with PCOS or to help you with PCOS. You're listening to Wellness 101. Today, we have been talking about um, treatments for PCOS, natural treatments that you can do to start you know, working on PCOS at home if you're, if you're suffering with PCOS. Um, Again, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of of actually figuring out what's driving your situation and addressing those issues. Um, the the things that we're talking about here are just in generalities. Um, talking about in general what someone can do to help with PCOS. Um, so before the break, we were talking about uh, magnesium and we talked about vitamin D. Um, so to continue kind of on a little bit with vitamin D. Um, 
there is with vitamin D, a lot of times people will combine a vitamin K2 supplement with it. And that's a great thing to do. Um, it, it helps people um, deal and associate um, with their their vitamin D, their calcium levels. It helps with with some regulation of things. If you're taking vitamin D and vitamin K together, um, it can help you. If you're getting too much vitamin A, it can decrease toxicity um, from vitamin A. So these things um, these things can really be beneficial. Um, that that can you know that I find that can help. Um, and mixing that in. Now, vitamin K, most people don't take a lot of vitamin K. Um, and in fact, um, you know, they're the, I think I don't even know of any supplements that have very high levels of vitamin K. Those are, those are usually, um, capsules or tablets and, and you, you know, you're just taking one a day. Occasionally you'll find a vitamin D3 with a K2 with it. Um, those are okay too. Um, just be careful if you're, you know, if you, if it, if it has been recommended to you to take, you know, more than, um, one pill or, or one dose, whatever that dose is, you know, if you're taking, you know, trying to take 5,000 IUs of vitamin D, you may be getting a lot more vitamin K than you really truly wanted to do. So you got to be really careful with vitamin K in that respect. Um, another nutrient that is extremely important is zinc. Um, again, this is the form matters. Um, there are lots of different forms of zinc. There's zinc oxides out there. I'm a huge fan again of a zinc glycinate. Um, zinc is extremely important. I see lots and lots of women that don't have enough zinc in their system. Um, it, if someone comes into us and they have, you know, irregular menstrual cycles or, you know, or they have PCOS, even if they don't have PCOS, I, I'm almost always recommending some form of, of uh, zinc supplementation, whether they are getting zinc in an IV with us um, or if they're getting, um, if they're taking capsules of zinc at home. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking, and, and we're not just willy-nilly throwing this out there at them, but zinc levels are extremely important. Um, it's just a little more difficult to to check zinc levels. Um, so you got to be you got to be really careful and really wary of how much zinc you're taking. You can throw some other things out of balance. Um, if you're just going to go out and buy some zinc, I do not recommend taking more than 30 milligrams at a time. Um, that anything more than that, you can throw other things out of balance and create some, some situations that you definitely do not want to have. Um, but zinc's pretty important. It has to do the role that, that zinc has in the whole cycle of things is that it helps a follicle develop and follicles are the little housing units in an ovary that hold the egg. And so that's why zinc is really, really important um, to make sure that we have enough so those things develop properly, so the follicles develop properly. And we we talked about uh, several shows ago um, when we were talking about fertility and, and infertility, we were talking about how that stuff all starts with the egg, and this this is how you start production of the egg so you can increase your chances of fertility and conceiving. And so getting enough zinc in is extremely important. Now, animal products are the best place to get zinc. Um, it's it's going to be, you know, having a zinc issue is going to be much more common in someone who's a vegetarian or vegan um, than if someone is consuming, consuming animal products. Um, if 
if someone is coming in with a diagnosis of PCOS and she was put on 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 contraceptives, um, birth control pills, um, just knowing that birth control pills can deplete zinc is a key piece of that puzzle to know, okay, well, if you're already on birth control pills, we need to probably replete some replenish some some zinc because that p that that uh, birth control pill that can actually keep the cycle of the PCOS symptoms going. I even said either earlier this show or in the last episode, like people will the conventional medicine will throw will throw a birth control pill at someone that has PCOS and then they come to us saying well, nothing has helped. It doesn't it doesn't help the problems at all. And that's because well, in theory, they're, you know, they're trying to help. But in reality, what's going on is we're depleting a very vital mineral for your proper follicle development and proper function. So we're, you're just we're, we're further creating the problem that we're trying that they're trying to fix by throwing um, a, a contraceptive at it. So. Right. Well, and that just goes back to, I mean, the body is, you know, all interrelated and you know, one of our biggest issues with conventional medicine is it's looking at one thing and it's saying, you know, okay, we're going to put, you know, you on a birth control pill because that will make your cycles normal where, you know, and then they're not looking at how that might affect anything else in your body. And that's not the only, I mean, anyone who has PCOS knows that, you know, irregular menstrual cycles are generally not your only problem. Right. That's exactly right. So, you know, we got to be really careful with with zinc. Um, going back to the the nutrients, so you got to be careful with vitamin D to not become toxic. If you take too much zinc, you can actually create an imbalance between zinc and copper and create a, a copper deficiency, and that's not a good thing either. Um, so we've got to make sure that we we have this stuff in balance, right. and that you know you're not just taking zinc blindly forever and ever and ever. And this is why, again, it's important to go to someone who knows what they're doing with this because. You know, we can give you the general guidelines here and say, you know, these are the things that are important. But, you know, like I've said many times, this isn't magic. I mean, we don't know if we don't test and we don't know the numbers. Right. Exactly. So I, we got to talk a little bit about some B vitamins. So B vitamins are some of my favorites. Um, <laughs> Your favorite vitamins. They, they are. Um, <laughs> they're some of my favorites. It's not my favorite antioxidant, but it's one of my favorite vitamins. Um, so B vitamins are really, really important. B vitamins are another name for B vitamins are cofactors, meaning they are important for pretty much every single reaction that takes place. These B vitamins, these cofactors help that reaction take place. So when we look at um, blood panels, you know, most of the time people will, will just check a vitamin B12. And they, they just look at B12 and, and they say, you know, you have enough or you don't. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, almost everyone does not have enough B12. Um, well, on, you know, getting my PhD where my dissertation was the topic of B12, almost everyone is deficient in B12 from an actual optimally functioning standpoint. We don't have enough B12. Um, but very few people actually know how to look at lab work and see, okay, well, these things are off enough to tell us that you are likely functionally deficient in these other B vitamins, these other cofactors. Um, you know, we, we talked, I think we've talked on this show before about the Krebs cycle, which is how the body, um, it's, a, it's a physiologic process. It's how the body makes energy. And one of the cofactors in, in the Krebs cycle is this stuff called NAD. 
Um, and the N in NAD stands for niacin, um, which is vitamin B3. So that's one. Then we have these other cofactors. We have this other stuff called FAD. Um, and the FAD in that come, stands for, is coming from riboflavin. And so right there, right off the top, I just threw out a couple of things of B2 and B3 um, that are cofactors that they're difficult to test. But if you know how to read the blood work, you can actually interpret and figure out where the where the pieces are missing. Um, other things are looking at things like homocysteine in the blood, which can tell you, you know, B12 and folate status. It can also lead you, you know, uh, give you a better understanding of how someone is actually doing this process called methylation, which is a detoxification and recycling of, of, of some certain things. But it really matters to pay attention to these because, you know, the B vitamins are how we detoxify and get rid of hormones. That's how all these, these there are cofactors in all these reactions that help us get rid of this stuff. And these things have to be present in adequate num- numbers and levels to allow these reactions to take place so we can get rid of the, the stuff that we need to get rid of. Um, there are different kinds of specialty tests that can be very important for um for looking at B vitamins, um, looking at you know a CBC, looking at MCV or mean corpuscular volume can tell us how big the red blood cell is. It tells us how um, tells us what our status is with with iron B12 and B9 because those are things that are necessary to make those that those red blood cells, um, which also thyroid is important for. Um, so again, this stuff all ties together. So when these things are off you can pretty much guarantee that you're going to be needing some form of B-complex and they need to be activated. If you're taking B-complex, you need to make sure that those things are activated forms of B of B vitamins needs to be, you know, riboflavin uh, phosphate. Um, it needs to be a pyridoxal 5 phosphate. It needs to be methylcobalamin. It needs to be, you know, tetrahydrofolate, methyl tetrahydrofolate. Um, those are things that are really, 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 really important to, you know, have in your diet. So, all right, we've got to take another break. When we come back, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about some other things that can be done from a nutrition standpoint to uh, get you going and get you turned around with this PCOS. You're listening to Wellness 101. We are about to wrap up our uh, PCOS, our polycystic ovarian or ovary syndrome um, talk. And so we've been talking today about the treatments and things that you can do. Now, this next one that we're going to talk about um, is... One that a lot of women come in and they ask the question or we get an email on the question, you know, what about inositol? Um, Inositol is, it it can be very beneficial for um, someone suffering with with PCOS. Um, The thing that you got to pay attention to with inositol um, is that it comes in a couple of different forms. Um, It comes in myo-inositol and it comes in dechiro-inositol. And myo-inositol is the form that you want to get. Um, Decairo is a different form. It does different things. You, you, that's not what you're after. You want to, and we could spend, you know, a show or so talking about the differences. It's not really that important. Um, but my, myo-inositol is, is what you're after. And this stuff, um, it, it helps a lot. Um, it seems to figure out and be able to help you balance out sex hormones um, in the body to a degree. Um, but it also kind of helps with insulin sensitivity. So there's a couple different things that it's doing here, um, which are, you know, big drivers in PCOS. Now, 
sometimes we find, or I find in the clinic, that someone may benefit from inositol, but if we put them on inositol before we've addressed some other deficiencies, you can actually create a couple of other issues that you don't want to create. You can you can create some fatigue that you weren't prepared for because the person's already fatigued and grouchy to begin with, and then you add a little more fatigue to them because you didn't address some, some underlying other nutritional issues um, to be actually be able to manufacture hormones because sometimes people have too little of something and they're not able to make the stuff, and then you um, so their, their, their bathtub is, is low to begin with, and, and by taking the inositol, you open up the drain all the way, and they're still not able to make it, so the tub runs dry, and we don't want that to happen either. So that's, a, that's a, one of the big things to, to pay attention to um, when it comes to um, inositol. Um, it, it, I, I like it. It's, it's kind of cool. Um, again, you know, in functional medicine, we're trying to get to the to the you know the root cause of the problem, but sometimes fixing the root cause isn't actually fixing the roots; it's fixing the dirt um, because that's what you really need to do. Doesn't mean that we can't address the trunk and the and the branches that you see, but really we're fixing the roots, so the roots uh, are fixing the dirt, so the roots can draw the nutrition from the dirt, um, and the dirt is the environment, and that's there's a lot that goes into environment, like we've said before. Um, another one. So insulin resistance is a big deal. And we've talked about that. And a lot of people ask the questions about berberine. Berberine is a, is a great herb. Um, it's the, it does improve insulin sensitivity. There are a lot of studies that show that it helps with insulin sensitivity. Um, and sometimes it's as effective, um, or really close to being as effective as metformin, which is what we're going to talk about next. Um, so it helps the insulin receptors um, and stimulates the body to uptake more glucose. Um, it, there are some people that report that berberine helps to you know, improve acne, um, which is another big complaint in PCOS. Um, but you gotta, you know, you gotta be careful with berberine and taking berberine every single day for a long period of time because there are antimicrobial effects with berberine. And so it's not something that you just want to keep taking over and over and over again. We really got to pay attention to, you know, what are we taking and why? And, you know, some things, yes, are you know, you can take for long periods of time and and not really have a have an issue with them. You know, you can take B vitamins every single day for the rest of your life. Um, but berberine is really not one of those. Um, you want to take it, it's meant to be taken short term um, to address the issues. Um, you know, this this is berberine is an herb. And if you really get into it, herbs are not meant to be taken in, you know, over long, long periods of time. They're, they're meant to, to help you balance things out, get things going, and then you rock and roll with that. So getting blood sugar, you know, if you use it as a crutch to get your blood sugar into, into range and increase insulin sensitivity, great. But then have a plan to get yourself off of berberine or have someone on your team that's helping you, you know, when do I transition off of this? When, when is my body able to regulate the insulin without outside help? And then lastly, that brings us to metformin. We're actually going to close the day talking about a pharmaceutical medication. So metformin is the very first line drug given to people who have type 2 diabetes. Um, so it does improve insulin um, sensitivity. Now, there are 
cons to this medication. Um, Surprisingly. Yes. <laughs> um, even though it's one of the medications, there's there. this is one that if I were forced to take, it wouldn't be the absolute end of the world because you can actually overcome the deficiencies that create that create this. You just that have are to know. You've got to know what, what and they why. Are. Right. Exactly. And most people have no idea. So metformin actually alters. I'm going to tell you the actual physiological mechanism of what happens. Metformin actually alters the calcium uptake cells at the distal end of the ileum that is where you reabsorb or absorb B12. That's the only place in the body that you absorb B12. It's just a few inches of your colon, and metformin alters that. And that is why when you take metformin, you become vitamin B12 deficient. So anyone out there who's taking B12, metformin, you need to get B12. And you cannot take it orally. It will not work. It's not going to help you. You need B12 shots. Come see us. We can help you with that. Um, so it's, it's very, very important to know. Um, but metformin um, also has, uh, has, has GI side effects with it causes nausea, gastrointestinal discomfort, it can cause abdominal pain and bloating. So you got to know that, you know, if you're having those complaints and you're taking metformin that it can be um, going on. But metformin is also being researched in in various forms of cancer treatments. It actually, because of how it operates on glucose and changing how you uptake glucose, it's being tested against certain forms of cancer in changing how those cancer cells uptake glucose um, to to use that. Um, to use as fuel. So it's it's a very interesting medication um, to improve insulin sensitivity. And doctors are, you know, they'll throw that with a birth control pill at someone with PCOS because maybe they understand that insulin resistance is part of PCOS, um, but then they don't have anything to do with the nutritional components. And so you really got to come back and, and, you know, fix the nutritional, the nutritional aspects of this. So we made it through. Yes. Yay. We made it through. So there's, I hope from this whole show, if you're suffering with PCOS, you've learned or you realize that you don't have, this isn't something that you have to suffer with your entire life. This isn't something that you have to be dealing with on an ongoing basis and it's going to be an issue and there's, you know, there's no hope. You're just going to have to deal with it for the rest of your life. There is actually something that can be done. You have to you have to go out and find somebody that can actually help you. You've got to find someone who has the training and the ability to figure out what exactly is driving your particular case of PCOS. Not all PCOS is the exactly the same. Right. And I and this is not, you know, both good and bad news. I mean, I have um a friend whose daughter has PCOS and he is like, "Well, no nobody can help her." And I'm like, "Well, actually, you know, there, there are things that you can do. And I know he's struggling because, you know, she's over 18. She can do what she wants, but it has no interest. I mean, PCOS right. is an excuse for, and I mean, there are people out there who like to rest on while yeah, they cling to their diagnosis. Exactly. And yep. so, I mean, for those of you who are out there um, who have PCOS and are, you know, it may not be the best information. Unfortunately, you might say, oh, gosh, you know, now there are actually things that I need to do because I could change this. Right. So there is there is hope. Um, you just got to be vigilant and find someone that can help you. Um, we're more than more than happy to help at the Institute of Natural Health. Um, if you need more information or, or want to find us, 
you know, you can go online, visit our website, the Institute of Natural Health.com. Um, you can call us 314 293 8123. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We, we post information on there. We do a lot of um, like research articles and stuff to, to get information out there that people may have not been, you know, may have not found otherwise. We like, to, we, we're, we like to provide information. I think information is the most important piece of the puzzle um, as far as letting people know there are answers. There is hope. You know, you, you're not out there doing this alone. Right. right. You just got to find the right person to help you. So, um, I just want to thank everyone for for tuning in and listening, and thanks to all of all of you out there. Um, for Aaron, I'm Dr. TJ. This has been Wellness 101. Thanks for listening.